You made a mistake, and they are never forgetting it. As far as they're concerned, your mistake is just, it's who you are, and it's all you are. I'm talking about everything. I mean, they'll smile at you, they'll pat you on the head, but they are never, ever letting you in. But listen, listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, because you don't need them. They're not going to give it to you, so what? You're going to take it. You're going to do whatever it takes. Do you hear me? You're not going to play by the rules. You're going to go your own way. You're going to do what they won't do. You're going to be smart. You're going to cut corners. And you are going to win. They're on the 35th floor. You're going to be on the 50th floor. You're going to be looking down on them. And the higher you rise, the more they're going to hate you. Good, good. You rub their noses in it. You make them suffer. You don't matter all that much to them. So what? So what? Screw them. Remember, the Deliveranter takes it all. All right, well, for this episode, we're going to delve into something a little different. Uh, actually, an academic study uh, that was done in uh, 2000, uh, I guess it was 15. Um, and it's called an Algorithmic Labor and Information Asymmetries, a Case Study of Uber's Drivers. So, um, it's by Alex Rosenblatt and Luke Stark. Uh, it was in, published in the International Journal of Communication, I guess on 2016. Um, so, uh, I'm not a rideshare person. Uh, I'm a delivery driver. And, but um, I do think this study, even though it focuses on the rideshare platform, it definitely has crossover relevance to delivery services and pretty much to the gig economy uh, as a whole as well. So, um, so if you'll bear with me, I think, uh, there's some pretty relevant and choice, uh, nuggets of information here that will help us just break down, uh, and demystify the, uh, different aspects of why working in the gig economy uh, is so challenging in ways that we just haven't seen before, or at least not in this particular um, pattern uh, in the work environment for the average everyday Jane and Joe driver out there. So uh, I'm just going to um, talk about some quotes from the paper and then uh, discuss the more salient points. All right. So, um, so, uh, according to uh, Rosenblatt and Stark, um, Uber manages a large disaggregated workforce through its ride-hail platform, one that delivers a relatively standardized experience to passengers while simultaneously promoting its drivers as entrepreneurs whose work is characterized by freedom, flexibility, and independence. Drivers as entrepreneurs whose work is characterized by freedom, flexibility, and independence. Remember those terms as we go through this together. Through a nine-month empirical study of Uber driver experiences, we found that Uber does leverage significant indirect control over how drivers do their jobs. Our conclusions are twofold. First, the information and power asymmetries produced by the Uber application are fundamental to its ability to structure control over its workers. Second, the rhetorical invocations of digital technology and 
algorithms are used to structure asymmetric corporate relationships to labor, which favor the former. Okay, so uh, obviously this is an academic paper. We're going to have to do some definitions and translations here. But translated from the academic wonk speech, what exactly are their two important conclusions from their research? Well, one is Uber exerts tremendous control over its drivers by manipulating the information that they share or hide from their drivers. This allows Uber to control and exploit their drivers to a considerable extent, something that they steadfastly deny by using purposefully obfuscatory terms like entrepreneur, flexibility, freedom, and independence. Very sexy and attractive descriptors, but hardly an accurate way of characterizing how the business gets run. Two, Uber uses their control of their technology, their app, right, and the algorithms that drive it to maintain an unbalanced and, I would say, unethical level of control over their quote-unquote independent contractors. The paper goes on. Lee, Cuspit, Metzke, and Dabish in 2015 provide the most granular independent look to date at the driving habits and preferences of Uber drivers, coining the term algorithmic management to describe the mechanisms through which Uber and Lyft drivers are directed. We extend that understanding of algorithmic management to elucidate on the automated implementation of company policies on the behaviors and practices of Uber drivers. So, key phrase here, algorithmic management. In other words, the computer manipulates and controls you and your behavior. As Schultz notes, web-based work environments have emerged that are devoid of the worker protections of even the most precarious working class jobs. And Greg in 2015 observes that the asymmetries between app designers, owners, and the service providers, those who offer the infrastructure for labor, but no stability or benefits to accompany it, are a defining feature of many of these on-demand companies. So, we're constantly told uh, how wonderful these gig economy uh, jobs are for workers because it offers so much freedom and flexibility. People get to be their own bosses and yada, 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 yada. But what these companies purposely fail to point out is that these advantages that they keep touting are in reality not much more than pretty slogans, right? Especially when compared to more traditional jobs with greater stability, actual definable benefits, and safeguards for workers. So Uber refers to drivers as driver partners, thus disassociating the company from an employer-employee relationship. Drivers in this study generally treated the language as either a formality or outright hypocrisy, as irrelevant or as a lever to press negotiations for more autonomy. So if Uber doesn't have an employer-employee relationship with its drivers, then the question needs to be asked, what kind of relationship does it have with them exactly? Well, the terms partner and sharing economy and even rideshare suggest that Uber and its drivers possess a mutual commitment to common goals, despite the significant information and power asymmetries between the two. Okay, so 
Uber considers their drivers to be partners in the sharing economy. Just one big happy ride-sharing family, right? <laughs> but wait, it gets even better. In Uber's contract with its United Kingdom-based drivers, drivers are instead legally framed as consumers. Quote, cons customer driver is authorized to provide transportation services, according to Uber. End quote. The term customer specifies that drivers are, quote, end users of the application, similar to passengers, which potentially obviates their role and rights as workers. So do you see what's happening here? Uber doesn't consider their employees to be employees. Instead, since Uber drivers are consuming the benefits of, of Uber's proprietary app, they are categorized as consumers. But yet, somehow they also get told that they're entrepreneurs and partners and a bunch of other bullshit. Uber, like other economies in the on companies in the on-demand economy, use its identity as both a platform and a technology company to define its role. And the more control that they exert, the more that they're able to uh, manipulate their drivers to do exactly what they want, when they want, and how they want it. So, uh, so they use their identity as both a platform and a technology company to define its role as a neutral intermediary that facilitates access to underused and under-commoditized goods and services. Blah, 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 blah. Uber claims in its contract with drivers that it is, quote, a technology services provider that does not provide transportation service, end quote. In response to multiple lawsuits against Uber, alleging that it discriminates against blind and disabled passengers, Uber has argued that the Americans with Disabilities Act did not apply to it as it does to taxi companies because it's a technology and not a transportation company. So here, Uber is, is in effect saying, don't mind us, we're just a little old technology provider, so therefore, we don't have to obey the rules that traditional companies have to abide by, like accommodating people with disabilities. So less work and effort for them means less access for potential passengers who, it could be argued, might benefit the most from accommodations that would allow them to safely access Uber, or you would think. The fucking balls in this company. Okay, so we've reached the end of part one. Give you a little bit of a breather so you can recalibrate everything that just uh, got downloaded into your brains. And then I'll meet you on the other side. The most explicit legal tensions in which the company is embroiled are highlighted by a class action lawsuit in California, which effectively contests the neutrality of Uber's relationship to its drivers. The plaintiffs, the drivers, assert that they should be classified as employees, not independent contractors. So uh, even though the initial outcome of the driver's legal and political pressure 
did result in them successfully getting laws passed in California to protect and classify them as employees by rideshare companies. Uh, that whole process and what went down with that is a discussion for another time. However, it's worth noting that after good progress was made, the rideshare companies got together and spent untold millions and millions of dollars to overturn the will of the people and replace the legal protections with a carved out definition of what independent contractors are that allowed the uh, rideshare companies to basically continue business as usual, exploiting their drivers. So, Uber's contract with its American driver states that Uber provides lead generation to independent providers of rideshare or peer-to-peer -peer passenger transportation services. So again, drivers are consumers of Uber's product, not Uber's employees. It's worth noting that in a legal brief Uber submitted in uh, the California case, uh, the California Employment Misclassification Lawsuit. Uber asserts that we make our money from licensing software, and we happen to have a compensation model that when they, drivers, use it successfully, we get compensated. So here they're saying, oh, oh look, we just happen to have a compensation model powered by our technology that when used successfully by our drivers, who are definitely not our employees, but instead are just simple consumers of our product, they make us money. Imagine that. That, my friends, is some fucking deep, deep rhetorical bullshit. And they know it. This framing also implies that any negative consequences are features of software connectivity. Yet Uber's self-proclaimed role as a connective intermediary belies the important employment structures and hierarchies that emerge through its software and interface design. So, uh, are you experiencing a problem or dissatisfaction with Uber? Blame the app. Not Uber. It's not their fault. They're just a consumer like you. Uber advertises that a driver can, quote, be your own boss, end quote, and has made attempts to induce drivers to protest the regulation of ride-sharing by sending them emails that say, for example, quote, state leaders need to hear from entrepreneurs like you, end quote. In Uber's newsroom, Uber states, quote, our powerful technology platform delivers turnkey entrepreneurship to drivers across the country and around the world, end quote. Sounds great, but drivers ain't buying at Uber. None of the interviewees we spoke with thought of themselves as entrepreneurs because of their work with Uber. As Mike, an interviewee from Savannah, who had driven for Uber for two to three months said, quote, Entrepreneur is, I feel like, a bit of a stretch. I mean, I feel like the definition of an entrepreneur is, you know, having your own idea and taking off with that. I feel like Uber is just like a side gig, not any kind of entrepreneur endeavor. I don't feel like entrepreneur is a great classification for drivers unless you're running a business out of your Uber car. I guess that's why, by something an entrepreneur could do, end quote. Well, Mike's exactly right. Of course, if you tried doing exactly that, running some side gig out of your gig economy job with Uber, you would immediately be fired, also known as deplatformed. So the role of the CSR, customer service representative, these are the people that drivers interface with as well as passengers. The role of the CSR more com closely resembles customer service than management. 
an indication of Uber's larger trend of treating drivers not like employees or even contractors, but as the customers of a quote, free service. Although drivers primarily communicate with Uber by email, there's no managerial correspondent empowered with the role of foreman to mediate drivers' frustrations with the company. And because there are no formal managers to oversee the quality of individual drivers' job performance, Uber's system recruits passengers to perform a type of managerial assessment through driver ratings. The automation of many managerial functions in the Uber system does not obviate the driver's need for an Uber representative who is empowered to mediate their concerns in ways that CSRs cannot. A contextually aware manager able to explain what's happening to the software-based infrastructure of such work would be one way to build trust in the platform and, and trust in platform worker relations for Uber and other similar companies. But this is another way Uber and other similar companies save money by relying on their customer service representatives to handle what should instead be dealt with by dedicated managers. And this is another excellent example of why framing is so important in presenting information, right? So, in the driver rating system offered to riders, passengers are empowered to act as middle managers over drivers, whose ratings directly impact their employment eligibility. The redistribution of managerial oversight and power away from formalized middle management and toward consumers is part of a broader trend in flexible labor. Companies or platforms can create expectations about their service that workers must fulfill through the mediating power of the rating system. So think of how much Yelp reviews influence businesses. It's the same principle in the rideshare and delivery economy. To achieve good ratings, drivers must modify their behavior to produce a homogenous Uber experience for riders. Instead of imposing disciplinary measures on drivers, Uber controls how drivers behave through weekly performance metrics delivered after the fact of their work. This homogenizing effect highlights another tension between Uber's claim that drivers are entrepreneurs. They must deliver a standardized service. So how can you be considered an entrepreneur if the type of service you give is completely controlled by the company? Where is the freedom in that, Uber? By design, systematic accountability for the whole interactive process is downloaded into individual drivers because passengers did not have the option to rate the Uber system itself, the in-app, separately from their drivers. Gig economy companies offering rides and food deliveries don't want you to know, they don't want to know what you think of them. They maintain the myth of neutrality, so the responsibility of their services, for good or bad, falls almost wholly on their drivers. How convenient for them. The result of these metrics' effect on employment behavior can also be seen in the ways drivers treat passengers. Once a passenger is in the car, drivers often provide them bottled water or offer chargers for their smartphones. Drivers try to gauge where the customers want to speak or if they would prefer to stare at their smartphones using a combination of friendly conversational attempts with eye contact and general demeanor to guess their passengers' preferences. These behaviors on the part of Uber drivers are classic examples of what sociologist Arlie Russell Hochschild has identified as, quote, emotional labor, end quote, whereby service workers like taxi drivers or flight attendants suppress or maintain <clears throat> or contain their emergent emotions to present a placating or welcoming demeanor to customers. 
regardless of what that customer's reciprocal emotional state is. This behavior is partial compensation by drivers for Uber's overt lack of communication with passengers about the function of driver ratings. Drivers in the Uber system perform emotional labor in exchange for ratings instead of tips. Emotional labor. One more thing, service sector and gig economy workers are expected to offer without any compensation. Although rating systems can be billed as a way to build and scale trust and accountability in platforms, they have other impacts on employment opportunities. Uber's driver rating feature dovetails with another managerial technique meant to structure and control the etiquette and uniformity of driver's behavior. Uber will send routine messages as demonstrated uh, to drivers that recommend that passengers give low or high ratings to drivers who behave in particular ways. This feedback is carefully designed to be indirect, presumably to avoid the appearance of a company policy. Instead, framed as a result of empirical data, the advice Uber provides about how passengers' uh, ratings may be valid, but uh, sorry, the advice Uber provides about how passengers' rate may be valid, but the way the advice is delivered has the effect of creating confusion between what Uber expects of its drivers as opposed to what it merely suggests. Uber denies that the rating system has a substantive effect of mediating company policies. In its ongoing employment misclassification lawsuit, Uber describes how it provides suggestions that if implemented may or may not help them, the drivers, raise their star rating. Yet some drivers, like plaintiffs, believe they are required to follow these suggestions. The power of a nudge directed by an employer at a worker, however, has a stronger element of control than a suggestion directed at a customer. So, nice behavior towards your customer there, Uber driver. Be a real shame if you didn't keep following our policies. Sorry, I mean suggestions. <laughs> all right, well, you have heard it all, and now you can draw your own conclusions, but I'll be making some here in just a minute. So, stay tuned to the bitter end. So, what are some of the conclusions we can make uh, from the discussions raised in this paper. Well, so this paper was written in 2016, but I would say all of the points that it raises are still relevant today, six years later, right? Uh, the algorithmic manipulation and management, the uncompensated employee emotional labor, uh, and all the other uh, rhetorical tricks that they use to hide the fact that we are their employees. We're not independent contractors. They control and manipulate our schedules and our behavior and our activities and our choices too much. Um, so, but they want it both ways. They want us to just be these independent contractors who believe they're bullshit about being uh, entrepreneurs and free and flexible, but they also want to control and manipulate us so that they can squeeze, uh, squeeze us as much as possible for profit. Well, um, 
just recently, President Biden uh, has proposed reclassifying rideshare employees, uh, rideshare and delivery drivers as employees. So if that goes through, that's going to finally get workers the protection and wages that they deserve from these uh, gig economy uh, companies. Um, But until that happens, we're going to see the same exploitive uh, maneuvers as usual that I've been talking about all along in my podcast and will continue to detail. Um, So stay tuned. Uh, You know, we'll also probably talk about the um, safety issues with the gig economy. Uh, There's a number of deaths that uh, have happened to uh, mostly rideshare drivers. uh, And uh, wages is definitely going to be something we'll talk about uh, in future podcasts, um, how, uh, the gig economies like to classify, uh, your wage earning is different from how workers experience it, right? The workers are out there for eight hours, but because they only deliver a fraction of that time or pick up passengers for a fraction of that time, the, um, ride share and delivery companies like to say that, uh, that's what they're when they're really earning money. So therefore, their wages are much higher than they are. But if you're out there eight hours, you're out there eight hours, whether you're driving somebody around or not. And it's also the wear and tear in your vehicle and other expenses that as a quote unquote independent contractor, you have to pay for yourself that they don't factor into the wages. So all these things will be uh, discussions we'll take up at another time. But thanks for listening and uh, appreciate your time and energy so we can make things better for everybody involved. I've known good criminals and bad cops, bad priests, honorable thieves. You can be on one side of the law or the other, but if you make a deal with somebody, you keep your word. You can go home today with your money and never do this again, but you took something that wasn't yours and you sold it for a profit. You're now a criminal. Good one, bad one, that's up to you. But either way, you'll always be a deliverant.